Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode four of Strive, Struggle, Succeed. I'm Brian Macias, and on Strive, Struggle, Succeed, I interview and talk with people uh, who I believe to be very interesting, and what I'm looking to capture is they're striving, they're struggling, and they're succeeding. So the strive is, are they putting themselves out there? Are they trying to do things in multiple facets of their lives, trying to be great spouses, trying to be great parents, trying to be great business people, community members, uh, healthy uh, mindset, all those people. Pieces. I'm very interested in people who are striving in all those facets of their lives. Uh, importantly, I want to capture their struggle. We are bombarded, just absolutely bombarded, uh, by pictures and images of success. People who are billionaires, people with six-pack abs, um, people who drive fancy cars, uh, pictures of families that seem to be super happy all the time. I mean, our Facebook feeds are filled with this, um, and it can start to wear on people. So I think it's important that we look at people's struggle and look at the real deal. Uh, what people really go through on a daily basis and what they've gone through to get to where they are and humanize uh, people along the way so that you and I uh, can feel good about our own struggles and realize that we're not alone in them. And last but not least, really defining success amongst different people and what it means to them. Um, more and more, uh, less of a, of a tangible or material success, but uh, of what they think from a virtue perspective uh, creates success and happiness and fulfillment in their lives. So that is the whole point of Strive, Struggle, Succeed. And on this episode, I have a great conversation with author Adam Lamb. Uh, Adam just released the book, Better Than the Binge, which illustrates uh, his experience in giving up alcohol as part of his journey in being a better dad and a better husband and just more of a peak performer in general. So Adam uh, is an entrepreneur. He's a bodybuilder. Uh, as I mentioned, he is a father. Uh, he is a husband. And so this is just his acknowledgement of the impediment alcohol was to him. Now, uh, he will tell you he doesn't, it wasn't really an alcoholism thing in his mind. Um, it was just that, you know, he was drinking more than he would have liked, probably a couple drinks every day, which I think a lot of people do uh, as an unwinding process. Process, which which is a form of alcoholism, um, but he will outline his struggle with alcohol uh, growing up with his father and his grandfather particularly. He lost his father to alcoholism and just how important it was for him to be a great dad for his kids and a great husband for his wife. And so therefore, uh, he gave this up. And it's it's a really great book. It's, it's a quick read. I read it and I really enjoyed it. So of course, we talk about the book in this conversation. Uh, but in general, what you're going to find is just a conversation between two guys who just want to get better. Better. And we're talking about the authors that we enjoy, the books that we like, the philosophies that we have, the practices that we've instituted. Um, and these are the kinds of conversations I just want to be having with people. This is the whole reason I'm doing Strive, Struggle, Succeed, is to just connect with people who are also interested in being better, uh, who want to talk about things that are tangible and important and improvement and, and all those great things. So uh, you're going to find that in here. Uh, we tackle topics on, on being a better man and a different definition of man masculinity and of having friendships and what that means and surface level friendships versus real tangible uh, relationships uh, with other people. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and kick this over to the conversation. I hope you'll enjoy. First of all, I love uh, Extreme Ownership. I think it's a great book and I love Jocko Willink in general. I mean, I, he's, his podcast is great. He just hosted Tim Ferriss's podcast and I think he's got another book coming out that I think is just strictly based on discipline. And as I was reading your book and a lot of the notes I was taken, taking, I heard a lot of Jocko coming out, especially on the discipline pieces. Yeah, there's even kind of something I've been using as like a mantra of mine, which is called uh, Discipline Deposits. And it's something my wife and I kind of talk about a lot, and, and it's something I kind of 
stumbled upon from an idea standpoint where, you know, basically you, you know, you, you make those deposits of discipline consistently, and then you're able to, to, to accomplish that wealth, you know, so to speak, that you really want in life, right? And so whether it's you're trying to get in better shape, okay, well, you have discipline at dinner, you have discipline with beverages, maybe it's you cut out the couple of beers or at night you're drinking, you get up in the morning, you feel good, you go to the gym, and you just keep plugging away in those different little discipline deposits. Eventually, they become habit, they become lifestyle outside of those discipline deposits. You know, so it's, it starts being easy to, to put that $100 a week away, $300 a week away, $500 a week away. And now you're building a, a, a wealth model you can eventually live off of and, and live the life that you want. I love it. And so, you know, I'm a big fan of that too. And so I don't know, have you ever read Meditations by Marcus Aurelius? One of my favorite books. And, and one of my favorite quotes in all my emails, other than the one for the book, um, is one of his. Which one is it? When you rise in the morning, think of what a precious privilege it is to be alive, to breathe, to think, to enjoy, to love. And, and it sounds, I've even had, you know, like my guy, guy buddies call me out on that. They're like, what's up with that quote, dude? And to be honest, like that is really how I live my life. And it, and I think when you really focus on gratitude, everything else works out. When I'm grateful for all the things that I have in my life, I'm more empathetic to others. It allows me to have better perspective for other people's situations, better perspective for personal situations, how I can look at things better. Um, and one thing I, I, I talked about a lot and touch on a little bit in the book um, is is how, helping people overcome anxiety with gratitude. And, and what that kind of focuses on is in moments of either anxiety, which is something that a lot of times people don't realize that alcohol can cause, um, or even stress, anger, right? Like say your kid drops milk on the floor and it's all over the place and you're like, you're getting frustrated. But instead you just stop. So you're not so thankful that I have this beautiful child and this milk on the floor is nothing. It's nothing. It's because all the other wonderful things I get. And it's hard to put yourself in that place, especially if you don't have the discipline to make those mental deposits. And eventually what happens, just like I was saying before with habit, is it becomes habit. So someone cuts you off and you're just like, that guy, I love him. How funny. You know what I mean? Like, it's not the end of the world. It's not even like still a moment in my day. And you just keep going. And you find you're just so much happier in life because you fall to the gratitude. You know, like some guy cuts me off and I'm like, this guy is 89 Toyota. I hate to be him. I don't mean, I can't even get mad at this guy. I'm driving my new Denali. I'm happy. And I'm like, why would I get mad at this person? You know what I mean? And I feel, I feel empathy for them. Maybe they're in a hurry. Maybe they have stress about something in life that they're just haven't had the opportunity to realize, you know, whatever, right. It's it, it just going maybe a little too deep, but being able to create those, that trigger of gratitude to either anxiety, pain, stress, um, really, really can create a significantly happier life, I think. And, and that's something I really focused on and it works. Well, and you have to focus on it. It has to be a proactive effort. I think what people fail to recognize is that we're actually wired to be negative, right? I mean, it's a safety mechanism to keep us alive and that our brains, um, our reptilian brain is there to identify threats to us. 
And so it's there to really kind of pull out the negative things and see them and keep us alive. And if you really want to be positive and you really want to tap into the other parts of your brain, it goes back to your discipline piece, right? You just you can't just say, I want to practice gratitude. You legitimately have to wake up every day and whether it's through journaling or through meditation or whatever it might be, like you've got to legitimately practice gratitude. It isn't just something that you, you have in you. And I think people, they, they fail. They, they, they don't put the work in or they don't, they fail to recognize that it requires work, right? And it's not just something you can say, like, oh, I practice gratitude. You legitimately actually have to practice it. Like, so talk to me about that. Like, how do you go about practicing it? Like, how do you discipline yourself around that? What forms do you do that in? Some things that helped me originally, yeah, I've read a lot of books, right, about self-improvement, like literally hundreds. And so that was a couple of things that started helping me open my eyes to it. And so when I spent some time coaching some friends of mine or the clients or whatever through some things where trying to explain some out-of-the-box ideas, and they're like, well, that's just not the way life is. And I'm like, listen, life is 100% the way you want life to be. And if you choose to believe that that's not how it is, that's what you're going to have to deal with. And, and so it starts, I think, with a belief system that you can kind of to the extreme ownership, but that you can actually control everything in your life to obviously to an extent, but having that belief first. And then once you do that, you kind of have to navigate to what works for you. And so for me, no joy comes as much as, you know, my children. I didn't grow up with a great childhood. And so for me, having the opportunity to to give that kind of uh, childhood to my kids and to love them and appreciate them and do all the cool stuff that I wish, you know, like maybe my dad did with me or something like that is really, really special to me. So that's one of my first places um, that I go to. I started, you know, once I, I quit drinking and I finally got into yoga and someone who I've been into fitness and all that stuff my entire life. And, and I never did yoga. And, and I found doing it, um, you know, that time that really understanding, really wanting, you know, when I do something, I want to like go all in, right? I'm not going to do it on a surface level and try to pretend I had an experience. So, and, and that really helped. And, but just reading and self-awareness and just learning what your triggers are uh, to find the things that are important to you, holding on to those things and reminding yourself regularly how good life really is. And, and next thing you know, people that are, are, are attracted to you, so whether it's from a business standpoint, people just want to work with you because you have this vibe about you that's positive and uplifting, and they want to be around you, right? People want to work for you. People want to listen to you. People want to hang out with you. And the joy that you bring with other friends and, and you know, other, whether it's business relationships, family, get a lot better when you have that mindset of gratitude. People feel it. So tell me, so along the lines of strive, struggle, succeed, um, first, talk to me about like what your vision of success is. What, what are your ultimate goals? And you, and you talk about goals a lot in the book, and I like that. So, so tell me, what were the goals? And just ultimately, what are, what are your main objectives? I think my, my main goals and how, how I would define success in one word would be happiness. And the reason I say that is because I think a lot of people define success either financially um, through relationships um, or, you know, some sort of vanity, right? And I deal with a lot of that stuff personally. And kind of like you said a little bit earlier uh, on the call, you, you just weren't happy. And, and that's what I really 
decided, like, I have to focus on happiness. And things that make me happy are when my family's happy, when I'm financially happy, and when I'm happy with the person that I am every day as far as accomplishing things, you know, feeling significant, and, and having that uh, fulfillment. I outline those things. And, and I can think of, you know, back in, in my life where there's plenty of times where I chased false fulfillment, right? Picking up girls at the bar, you know, like that kind of thing, getting in fights, uh, you know, being a tough guy, or being when I was advising the bodybuilding and like being the big ripped guy in the t-shirt, you know, like those kind of things that feed ego um, that give that false case of success and it's not real besides i think you, you you know it's not real eventually because you're still not happy and so or maybe it's you're out you got to get the new movie the top purse the new you know you got to buy the new lambo and you just drive around your lambo by yourself unhappy right and so it doesn't matter at the end of the day if you're not happy and so that's when i really took that internal look and Myself, I was like, well, what, what really makes me happy? So I know my family makes me happy. So I'm like, how can I be a better husband to my wife? And the number one thing I think in all relationships uh, where we kind of go wrong is we put ourselves first. And so as far as my relationship with my wife, I put her first. You know, we moved down to Texas because she had a job opportunity. And I was I like Michigan and you know, I grew up there and everything. But I was like, you know what? It's a great opportunity. Let's do it. You know, and guess what? I'm happier because of it. And and so if I look back at some of the decisions, you know, that just being one more recent, where I put my wife first in the relationship, support her, you know, she's traveling, stuff like that. Like, hey, we'll figure it out. Whatever we got to do, it it works better in the end. You're happier, your relationship's stronger, and like I said, that that happiness comes double. And, and then on the flip side of that, my wife notices it, and she's happier. But we have the best relationship we've ever had now because we both are very mindful of it and focus on each other's happiness more than me, 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 me. You know, and, it's, and same with kids as opposed, you know, it's just taking that time. Like sometimes I don't want to crawl on the floor banging cars around with my son, but I do it, right? I don't necessarily always want to go to soccer every Tuesday night, Thursday night, Saturday game, Sunday game, you know, like I, but you do it because at the end of the day, when you see your son, like just kicking ass and doing great at soccer and he's happy and he's making friends and he's telling you about his game and like what he learned. And you're like, this is what it's all about is, is, you know, putting these other people first and their happiness is actually what makes me happier. And now I'm, you know, and now I'm a happier person. And I think for work, um, from like a career standpoint, I worked at Quicken Loans. I think it's a great place, um, especially for young people to really learn some discipline and how, because I, I mean, I had, dude, I barely graduated high school, college, not a chance. And I was just too immature. I was too focused on the wrong thing. And uh, I was working in the nightclub industry for a long time. And I was fortunate to work in uh, kind of a VIP bar um, at, at one time. And I met some pretty influential people, you know, business owners. CEOs of companies, and I was like, and, and I became friends with these guys. They liked me. We were, you know, I was like, I can hang with these guys. What's the difference? The difference is that they just hold yourself to a different standard of life than I was for myself. Not that they didn't have a better mom and dad. They didn't have better education. They didn't have someone silver spoons because there's plenty of people that had worse than I did that worked their ass off to get where they're at. And so that kind of opened my eyes. And, and 
I decided I was like, I need to figure something out that has more opportunity. And eventually I ended up working at uh, Rock Financial, Quicken Loans. John uh, Jerkovich hired me, and which was still to this day like the absolute the hardest interview I've ever had in my entire life. And now, you know, him and I are really good buddies, which is which is kind of funny. And so, you know, I kind of went through that career and I still didn't have fulfillment because I feel like I was doing, living a life that I was quote unquote supposed to live, like going shirt and tie, going to work, not at the bar, you know, like, but I was like, I don't really love this. And it's not my passion. And my passion uh, partially was through fitness and health. I, I needed to do something with that. You know, and a creative, I wanted to start a business. And, and so um, I eventually started, I left, you know, doing the mortgage industry, uh, started a business and kind of grew that and went from, you know, you, you make the sacrifice too, right? If you go from making pretty good money to not a lot of money and put, trying to figure things out. You know, thankfully, my wife had uh, a good career that was allowed me to kind of take some risk. And uh, those things worked out. And so, what I realized that was most important to me was creating something, holding myself accountable, and and that just snowballs into more self-confidence, more belief in yourself, um, push the edge, push the edge. You know, it, it, throughout that entire process, into the key, the key takeaway, um, I was actually just thinking about that today with a conversation with someone this morning. Is I just I, I'm always focused on treating people as good as possible. You know, when I was younger, I thought like when a legacy guys like, ooh, that's the guy that got the girls, or that's the guy that has the big muscles, that's the guy that could bench press the most. And that's stuff that legacy. No one no cares about it. And I was like, I don't want that to be my I want my legacy to be like people that really enjoyed me. They looked up to me for my work ethic. They looked up to me to the way I treated other people. They looked up to me as somebody who found it important to help them. And so I morphed into who I really wanted to be. And everything else starts really working out for you. And and I think the other part too is that self-esteem, um, that self. Because if you don't like yourself, I don't care how much money you have, to look in your wife or girlfriend or whatever it is, if you don't really love yourself, you still will lack fulfillment. And so for me, things are important were you know, staying healthy and fit. And it's always been something that's important to me, not letting myself go. So just making having the discipline to go to the gym every single morning. Maybe I don't go eat a big sub sandwich and instead I eat chicken and rice and broccoli. It sucks, but it's the discipline to get that um, reward in the end. And and also just thinking, looking at my life and saying, like, where can I be better? You know, how can I, am I, is my time spent best watching sports or is my time better spent, you know, reading a book and learning about something I don't know about? And in doing those things, like switching from how I spent my time into more of a self-improvement, I just really became happier and I, it opened my eyes from perspective to so many different things in life and different people and, and how I can interact with people. And, and you find that people that, you know, maybe a couple of years ago would bother me to be around. They don't bother me to be around. I'm more empathetic. I want to understand them. Um, it's, and I think our society could really use that, whether it's uh, religion, uh, which, which, uh, you know, political party you go for, and, and I was kind of talking with my brother, who we were, were like polar opposites uh, to each other. And I explained to him that I said, you know, when you really want to understand the person who disagrees with you, that's when you find the answer. But if your goal is to make the person that disagrees with you agree with you, 
you will always be wrong. You'll never win. It doesn't work. It's a belief. And, and having a kind of live in my life that way too, even for myself has been uh, very rewarding because at the end of the day, you're happier. Yeah. I think it's interesting because you and I, I think had a similar experience in recognizing what maybe causes the, the suffering or, or feeling unfulfilled. And, and it really boils down to this is that if you're, I don't know if you've ever read the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Have you read that? Yeah. One of my favorite books. So, and, and he talks about like the biggest piece is having the right metrics, right? And you listen, you, you and I are business guys. So we, we run everything on metrics. And I think the realization of like, you know, whether or not people like you, whether that be the people you work with or a girl at a bar or whatever it might be, um, those things are out of your control, right? Whether or not you, you have an experience, expensive car. It's somewhat in your control, but not directly, right? And it's like, you know, those are shit metrics. And if those things are intoxicating, well, then not having them is a blow to the ego, right? And that's, that's the danger of using those things as your metrics is that you're going to only feel good when you have them. But listen, we know money is fleeting and we know that, you know, things just come and go. And so if it's intoxicating to have them, it's going to be an absolute ego blow to not have them. And so the key is, is not having those shit metrics, but having metrics of things that are actually 100% within your control. And I think you named, you know, several of those things and, and what those boil down to are virtues. You know, you can control whether you're a kind, empathetic person, whether you're a good listener. Um, and those are things that you want to be seen as. And, and those are things that are directly within your control. So I think, you know, it's interesting hearing you say that because that, that's the realization that I had as well. And certainly reading that book and many other things helped me get to that point where where fulfillment comes from doing. It's it's a verb, right? And and the the enjoyment and the happiness is in the discipline of doing those things. And uh, you know that's that's a huge thing. I, I love to hear you say that. And it's and it's hard to teach that, especially I think a lot of in society where we may lack a bit of that education early. Um, and one of the, kind of the newer things I've really been focused on more recently is proper male masculinity in society because it was something that hit home with me in some conversations I was explaining, you know, kind of going through, like, I, I can admit now that I was a really insecure person, right, growing up, that my parents were divorced, I got made fun of that, I just constantly felt like I was never good enough, and so, but I didn't know how to make myself feel good enough, and what it did is sitting, is it, actually like learning about myself, learning what made me happy, learning what's important to me, and, and going in that direction. Not what, you know, the guy down the street said. Not what, you know, if the guy said, hey, dude, your arms are looking big, or hey, man, you got the hottest girlfriend. That, if you're living for those other people's fake, you know, kind of like what we were talking about with, like, the, the car makes you happy. It, living for those things, you're never, ever going to be really happy. And I teach this to my son a lot. I'm like, dude, there's going to be kids that are going to kick your ass in soccer. They're going to run faster than you. They're going to kick harder than you. They're going to try harder than you. But you need to do it as best as you can, and then you'll be happy. Everyone else will be happy. But, you know, mom and dad will be happy. So just do that, you know, and, and understanding that about yourself, comparing only yourself to yourself, not the others. That's where the real happiness comes in. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and listen, I think I'm in the same boat. You know, I, I, I've been ra really insecure throughout my life. And then I wouldn't say that I'm 100%, you know, secure about myself even today. And I think one of the, the biggest challenges for everybody out there today is just we're bombarded by the most extreme examples of success all the time. 
right? It's everywhere you look, you're seeing something about Richard Branson, or you're seeing something about Bill Gates, or Warren Buffett, or Dan Gilbert, and it, it would make you think that you know everyone's a billionaire because all you see are billionaires and multimillionaires, and you know the truth is is there's only a handful of billionaires in this world, and right. you know in addition to that on the wealth side, the extreme example of everybody who's in phenomenal peak fitness condition, right? And so you're just constantly bombarded, whether it's in your Facebook feed or online with, you know, you, you got to start doing the shakes and you got to get the beach body workout and all these things. And, you know, people are just constantly overwhelmed with the idea of not being good enough. And, yeah. and I really think, you know, it's, it's just so damaging. And as, as a father to two little girls, I worry about this all the time because I don't want my girls to feel not good enough. I want them to feel good about who they are and how they look, regardless of, of what that is. And it, it's not easy, right? I mean, it, the, the rest of the world is not making that easy for us right now. Yeah. And, and I think that that's where that early education for our kids to say like, hey, you are good enough. Um, but there's, there's still a fine line, right? Like good enough doesn't mean you're lazy. You don't do the work. You don't try, right? That's, that's not okay. That's not good enough. And I think when you teach to like give your best, and I told my son, like we were, I was working on his homework last night and he was dealing with, he's in fourth grade and he had like hyperboles and similes and assimilation. And I was like, honestly, I don't know what hyperbole is. And I just wrote a book. <laughs> so let's get let's grab mom real quick. Let's fire up Google. You know, and I, just because I thought it was important to be vulnerable to him and show him, like, hey, mom and dad don't know everything. I mean, do you remember, like, when I was a kid, I just felt like adults just knew everything, right? And then you become an adult and you're like, whoa, there's a big different level of good adults and like adults that have no business even watching kids, right? And, and so I want to show that vulnerability and, and explain to him, like, listen, man. You don't have to know all this stuff, but you have to try. You have to care. Because when I was younger, I didn't care. I didn't do well in school. And I didn't have a support system that said, hey, man, you got to really care. And that's it. If you really care, you really try, you'll be happy and you'll succeed, you know, especially having that good support system. And that, that's our duty um, as adults, as mindful you know, men and women um, in society. We have to support the younger people. We have to believe in them. We have to coach them because, and then teach them that that's their duty too. You know, and then we just, we can kind of spread that as opposed to having the mindset of like, you're in competition with that person, the hell with that person, or that person drives this, they're less than you, or that kid's, you know, family this way, you know, don't, don't hang out with them. And we're doing, we've done that for too long. And it's created a big divide. And, and the big divide isn't about right or wrong or rich or poor or Republican, Democrat. It's about caring for other people and wanting the community to be successful. You know what I mean? And, and it's a big, a big picture part of it. Um, but it starts in a micro level at home. Well, the you know the fulfillment is in the doing of things. I, I think everything is a verb, right? It's not. It's not really about the results. And certainly, listen, I'm results oriented and and, but for me, once I've set the goal, I, I kind of put it out of my mind and then it just becomes getting committed and being disciplined to the process and then finding the enjoyment out of the process. You know, so for me, when yeah. it comes to working out, I work out every morning. Uh, you know, I really look forward to it except for leg days. I don't necessarily look forward to it, but um, more than the results, like I'm addicted to the process and the, the fulfillment, you know, 
really comes from the commitment. And I feel good about myself knowing that, hey, well, the rest of the world is sleeping. I'm up at 530 in the morning. I'm drinking coffee and I'm working out. Right. And so for me, the results are coming. Certainly you can't work out every morning and not get results, but it's more about the doing that I think brings the fulfillment. I think that's true with everything. Right. If if we're going to be great fathers and we're going to be great spouses to our our wives, um, it's in the doing. I, I can't really control whether or not Mary thinks I'm great, right? That, that's out of my control, or whether she likes me or continues to love me. Uh, but I can control what I do, and I can control how I treat her, and I can control the virtues that I think are important. I can be a good listener. I can be empathetic. Um, I can be kind. Um, I can be loving. I can do those things, right? And in the end, I think if I commit to them and I do them, and I find fulfillment in that, well, then, you know, hopefully everything will work out, and she, she'll stick around with me. <laughs> Even with my think, other flaws. <laughs> you're, you're right. And I think to take that a step further, um, even me personally, like when I first met my wife, I was like, what to this woman? How does she even, you know, want to talk to me? Right. I'm like, she's gorgeous, she's successful. And there was a part of it that like the good side was it inspired me to want to be better, but I didn't really know how. And there's a, I would say, you know, I was saying earlier, like this, the first part of the beginning of our relationship was more like boot camp than honeymoon, right? And now we're, where we're at uh, two, you know, adults that are focused on uh, growing and, and things like that. Like we're, we're awesome. And I look back and I think there was a lot in the beginning of the relationship. And I think a lot of people deal with this. That's why I think a lot of relationships are sabotaged is they don't feel like they deserve the partner. And I, and I felt like that for many years. Where in the beginning, I was just, I was just, I just didn't feel good enough. I was like, any one of these days, she's going to find some guy that's better looking, taller, right? It's always a tall thing, too. And there's uh, more money or, you know, like, she's, she's cooler than me or something like that. And you spend this time in defense mode, right? And kind of like we were talking earlier in the phone, like living like that reptile part of your brain that lives in fear of everything. When you are in defense mode, you are not in growth mode, like literally scientifically you cannot grow while you're trying to defend and so if you don't feel good enough whether it's at work right if you don't feel like you're good enough at your job you will not be successful at your job and grow because you're too focused on the defense and, and I, the, to the relationship part there was early in the relationship where i kind of i was like what the hell just just doing with me you know what i mean i'm a bonehead a knucklehead and, and what happened is is through that time is i, I kind of realize that if I like all the points you said, like if I could be empathetic and supportive and just honor her and do all the, all the things that I that are probably the right thing to do, maybe then, right. So instead of worrying, like, is she going to leave me? What's she doing? Oh, she's going to the work conference. Maybe she just needs some stroke, you know, great guy that's better than me. Instead of worrying about that, shift and say, like, how can I be the best dude for her? And when I shifted that, and just all the things you said, like you are with your wife, being empathetic, being supportive, being loving, being caring, making her feel special. Once you do all that, it, like I did, and I'll say confidently, if my wife was in this room, like pretty awesome husband, right? And so now I feel good about who I am. So I do believe I deserve her. And and that's mutual. And it really makes the relationship. And, you know, do, do those things that you know you should do. And that's kind of what brought me to the alcohol part of my life is, you know, I get up every morning, I, I, I eat pretty clean. I stay in pretty good shape. I have a really good relationship with my uh, wife, like I was just talking about. I mean, I 
cook my kids breakfast every morning. We had breakfast time yesterday. My business partner and my supplement company was like, hey, can you have a call? And I was like, bus stop time, bro. I'll call you after. Because that's the time when me and my son walk to the bus stop and chat, you know, and maybe we'll get to connect at dinner, but I might be busy. You know, sometimes I work till 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, and I just, like, I just give them the wave at the office window and try to kiss them when they go to bed. Those days happen. But when they don't, you know, when I have the opportunity, I seize it. And it makes me feel good about myself and it, and it lets me know that I'm, you know, being a good parent. And so with how I got to the alcohol, I was like, that was the one thing still lingering in my life that I was like, you know, I've always been a drinker. My dad literally drank himself to death. He drank until he like destroyed his brain to the point to where his body just started shutting down and he died. Uh, both grandparents had to quit drinking because they had drinking problems. Um, and I would, Definitely be one to say, like, I've gone out and torn it up uh, plenty of times in my life, working in the nightclub industry, you know, being that binge drinking, tailgate kind of mentality, I think that a lot of us do. And the sad thing is, is we started young, and it, that behavior, unfortunately, carries on sometimes for people forever. Um, you know, and you talk to friends, like, man, hangovers are like three or four days now. But, dude, we shouldn't be having three or four day hangovers. Have two glasses of wine, one glass of wine. You're fine. Like, that's it. You shouldn't be drinking 16 beers and playing beer pong and flip cup and that kind of shit if you were over the age. I mean, you should never, but realistically, you shouldn't be doing it like in your 30s and 40s. Like, let's have a real talk in about responsibility. And so I was kind of looking at, like, I was like, alcohol is that final catalyst that it's always been in the back of my head that could be holding me back. I would have a couple glasses of wine every night or a couple of Tito's on the rocks every night. Um, if we were going out to a concert or something like that, you know, I'd probably drink a little more or going out to a, uh, a social event or a vacation. And that's why I kind of had this, you know, my, my father passed away in September, 2015. And, and before that I said, I was like, you know what? My dad dies. So I knew, we knew he was going to, look, I'm going to make that kind of, I'm going to quit drinking. So if he died and I was just, stressful, like launching a, launching a company. And I basically made up a bunch of BS excuses to not fulfill something I told myself. And what I found myself doing is I, I was still having a couple of drinks every day. And there was a point where I was like mid summer of 2016. I was like, mm. I was having a conversation about drinking with a client because a lot of clients I have, I help them manage their nutrition and, and hormones. And we're just talking about, you know, how much do you drink and, you know, looking at their blood work and things like that and discussing, you know, I, was like, yeah, yeah, I drink pretty regularly too. I get it. And I was like, when is the last, what day? Like, do I remember the last day for sure that I didn't have a drink? I couldn't. I was like, all right, it's time to own up on this. And so I told my wife, I said, Hey, you know, I, I think I'm going to quit drinking. Like quit, quit. And it was like hitting a warp zone of just all the things we've been talking about so far on the call, empathy, you know, vulnerability, self-confidence, self-awareness. It was just like this amazing feeling of just learning so much about myself, feeling so much better. And let's say 90 days in, Brian, I felt unstoppable. And I literally, with confidence, say, I believe I can do anything, right? Anything I want to do, I can do. And it came from knowing that I really got rid of something that I believed in the back of my head could hinder me one day, right? And so once I did that, and I was so 
motivated that I, I, I had to share it, right? And I'm not calling my friends and saying, hey, dude, drink it. And I don't want to tell you about my experience. I'd be like, I'm going to write it off. If people want to hear, great. If people want to talk about it, I'm here for them. I'm not going to force it. I still, I literally went to the store two nights ago and bought wine for my wife. And she was like, red wine, don't buy the cheap stuff. Because I'd buy her cheap stuff. She, she would know the difference because I don't drink it anymore. And so I, she, she had me, I, mean, you know, I picked up a few bottles of red wine for her. Like, I'm not anti-alcohol. It was just, I, but I'm very pro self-awareness and figuring out what it needed to be successful, you know? And so once I pulled that out of the way, all the other little things we talked about, you know, stay, stay focused on happiness, uh, being happy with my family, being happy with put the effort I put into my career and, and business and being happy with the effort I put into myself and whether it's the books, fitness, eating healthy, um, those kind of things really turned yeah, it just really catapulted things in like super speed. It's so interesting because in the book you talk about this, and I, I couldn't agree more. There's there's so many reasons that make it easy to give up the alcohol. And one of the things you said, you know, just simply the calories alone, right? I mean, if you're drinking craft beers, 200 plus calories per beer, you have six craft beers, you, you've just drank 1,200, 1,500 calories. That it's a whole day's intake of, of calories. And so if you are a fitness minded person, if you are trying to work out and be in shape, it just seems like such an obvious thing to give up. So with all the reasons that it makes sense to quit, it's hard to do. So I, I personally, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, had a similar moment where I, I took a step back and I said, you know what, at the time uh, I was 38 and I said, I've, I've been drinking probably since I've been you know, 16 or so on a regular basis. Um, and, and that's a long time. That's over 20 years of doing this. And you know, where I could remember, certainly I go long stretches without drinking, but I needed to prove to myself that it, it wasn't an addiction and that I could just cut it out at any point. Um, and so I did. I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to quit drinking. And I didn't have a specific goal in mind. It, it wasn't I'm going to quit forever. It was just I need to see if I can eliminate this from my life and, and still live my life and still go to social functions um, and just be without it for a while. And I made it 58 days without having a single drink. But I'll tell you what, it was difficult. I mean, people, when you tell them that you're not drinking, their reaction is so averse for a lot of the reasons that you said in the book, right? Because they make it about themselves, right? They, you, you're, in, you're indirectly making them feel bad about their choice to drink. Um, people legitimately looked me right in the eye and said, you're not fun anymore, right? It was just, it was hard. You would expect people would support you. And, and they never even asked me why. This is one of the things that drove me crazy is I was like, maybe there's a real reason I'm quitting that you don't know about. There wasn't, but maybe there was. Maybe my wife told me she was going to leave me if I didn't stop drinking. Maybe my kidneys were going to fail if I didn't stop drinking, right? They, they don't know why I stopped, but they didn't seem to care. And so it was interesting. I was unprepared for that. And in the book, you talk about one of the keys to being successful was having a plan to navigate and manage that. Can you can you talk to me a little bit about that? It's important to make other people feel comfortable if, it, if, if you want to also in turn feel comfortable, especially with a decision that's big, like quitting alcohol. And, and I realized, like I, like I said a little bit earlier, like that my dad dying was kind of the, maybe I used that as an excuse. Cause I, I thought about quitting drinking for years, honestly, maybe going through the bodybuilding and things like that, like where you know, I go months without a drink, preparing for a, a bodybuilding competition, things like that. And, and so I just, yeah, I was like, I don't really need it. And, I know that if I go out and get after it, we'll 
little little heavy and you know it's vacation or some kind of party or something like that or you know we live down the lake and we have a pool so we have people over all summer long hanging out drinking fourth of july that stuff but like the next day i kind of be like uh, why did i drink that much you know and so i that that part of it was was important but you can't really explain that you can't say hey brian i actually quit drinking you're like why and i was like well I want to get rid of myself of the shame of drinking and, and those kind of things. And I didn't want to have to deal with the hangovers and my family has a history, but no one wants to hear that crap. So for you, you could have said, hey, you know, I'm doing a 90 day fitness challenge, no alcohol out. And you know me, it's important to me to be disciplined and stick to the goal that I set. There's my goal. Um, but everybody's a little different. And so sometimes I have people, I'm like, well, reach out to me. Let me hear your scenario right because i had some guys recently or he's a coal miner like he works in like a guy's guys ball busting you know shit talking giving each other a hard time you know like it's just a guy's guys situation and he's like dude I, I don't know like what am i supposed to tell these guys and, and i said you know the easiest approach and this is kind of this will go out to like i think the harder um situation the more extreme situation um to try to make some people that probably aren't really in tune with self-improvement um, just based on what he was telling me, like, you know, the names are calling him and all the stuff. Like, you know, it's just it, it, it being a certain level of adult, you probably shouldn't do that. But either way, you got to navigate the situation. I explained to him, like, try to, to avoid group setting in the beginning and start with one-on-one. So if Billy wants to quit drinking, instead of going out with the five guys and watching the game, Go have lunch with Joe only and say, hey, man, you know, you know, I, I think I'm going to quit drinking for a while. I'll just do it up, give myself a detox. I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be healthy. And uh, whatever. You know, we talked about some theater story. These guys that I'm talking about specifically, um, they're clients of mine, so they're focused on a, on a kind of a health fitness thing, so it made sense. Um, they spent a lot of money to, to do it. So as a tone that, and then when you sit down with Mike, tell him that, and then have lunch or – Maybe you're just get together with, you know, uh, whatever. Rick, I can't think of another guy's name. Um, have, have that one-on-one with him so that when you get in the group dynamic, you've actually had the opportunity to one-on-one express that stuff, right? And being a guy, if I'm with one of my really good friends, we might be able to just be, like, totally vulnerable, have conversation. Maybe it's sharing a struggle, sharing – uh, a win, but if you're with the group of guys, it's just like, yeah, it's like, it's up there, nice tie. What do you, you know? What, what do you think? Would you steal that from your grandpa? You know, if we just do that, and it's, so it's hard to to not make yourself the focal point of that um, in coming clean on quitting drinking. So my advice would be an extreme situation of being kind of concerned about it. To try to one-on-one those peers as much as you can before you really get, you have to kind of dodge the group setting. You know, I think if you use a, a, a business professional, merely probably in you know, a professional situation where if you're having dinner with clients or something like that, they're not going to be like, why are you being such a wuss, dude? You know, they're not going to say that. Um, so maybe, you know, either something light that's just like, hey, me and, uh, me and my best friend that they don't know, uh, we have, we're doing a 60-day challenge. We Thought it's in the internet. A lot of people are doing it. Thought it'd be cool to try. And what I'll what I'll tell you, you'll find that I found it. There's a lot of people that are pretty conscious of alcohol, but they don't talk about it, and they sure as hell don't know how to quit. Or 
limit it or you know navigate through social situations. And that's another reason why I wrote the book. And I see that tenfold now because I wrote the book. I've made myself vulnerable. I've exposed myself. I exposed the change um, in my life that's created more positive change. And people are like, you know, why we're on this conversation right now, right? It's you. I want to hear a little bit more. Tell me about that. How that happened? So I found out tons of people. People you would not even think drink that much have a problem. Not have a problem with it, but it's something they think about. And then there's people that drink that are serious drinking problems that are like. Dude, can you help me? I want to save my life, you know. And it's it's incredible. And that's really my goal with this book is just to, to help millions of people, not ten, not fifty, everyone that wants help, you know. And um, so, hopefully, I answered your question with just a couple examples. Um, but it does require a bit of having self awareness of you, your situation, where your concerns are at drinking, your that. I'm concerned at my cousin's wedding. Is it? I'm concerned with meeting the guys at Buffalo Wild Wings or BW3, whatever they call it, to watch Houston Astros show the Dodgers. Um, I don't know. You know, those situations are all very in your individual relationship with the people you have to explain it to very. Um, and the book digs into some of those examples um, that may make sense to your life. Um, to help kind of navigate that. And that's the first step is kind of creating the story. Right. And I think, I think that's the key, right? It's just the preparedness. And I think it goes back to everything we, we talked about. I mean, if you're, going, if you're going to be goal-oriented or you're going to be committed to discipline, you also have to have the self-awareness to be prepared as well and have a plan, right? So that when certain things come up, you have an answer ready and you have choices to triage the situation. And, you know, I liked how you really brought that to light. And if it's going to work, you're going to have to continue to go to social settings. You're not going to pull yourself out I and mean, you'll, you'll be depressed and isolated if you do that. So you're going to have to continue to, you know, immerse yourself in things, but you have to have a story. You have to have something canned and ready to go. And, and I love the idea that, that you even advocated, Hey, it can be a little bit of a white lie. Like, that's okay. Like you just, yeah. but you have to have, have something ready for your own, you know, sanity when people, because they are going to give you a hard time. Yeah. And I think, you know, you're a salesperson, I'm a salesperson. It, what's important in, in selling something, right? In this situation, you're selling this idea is you have to get the end goal, right? Like if you know that that customer needs what you're selling to them, but they're not aware, you have to make them aware, right? That they are, you have to uncover the needs. Like, you know, there's a thing that you and I both know, and I think most of those people can relate to, but the same goes when you're selling yourself of a change you made in your life or a resolution you decided to do. You have to sell them on being comfortable with what you're doing in order for them to buy in, right? It's the same mentality. So when those people have bought into your decision, now they're supporters, and potentially they might get on your bandwagon. And so you, me, by me quitting alcohol, I may have a friend or two that's kind of struggling, and they're like, hey, man, you did that. Tell me about it. And I create a space that's comfortable for them to be vulnerable, to share. I'm not calling one a wuss or anything like that, or like, dude, you, you really need a drink. Like, you got a problem. None of that ever happens. It's just creating a, a, a space. And so now those people are exploring it. You know, I've seen guys recently that have had a drink of problems that have quit 
they're better dads. I just see it. I'm like, I look at them, they're better dads. I see their pictures on Facebook. They look younger. Okay, I was like, oh, yeah, it's great. Well, you know, Marcy and I are going to do this. And I'm like, he never talked about that shit before. I talked about it in the damn baseball game. Or what, what up, you know, like, you, I can see these chains. I don't need to highlight it to them. Just kind of stand back and go, all right, this is something that I'm on to something here. And I really, really is passionate about just suggesting it. Not everybody, you know, and I think of, I'm reminded, you know, my wife, she probably has a glass or two of wine two or three nights a week. It doesn't, it's not something that hinders her ever. She, she never gets intoxicated or anything like that. Um, my business partner with my supplement company, he's a type one diabetic. Um, so it can be risky for him to drink. And he's like, I mean, he's like four beers a year, like six glasses of wine a year. He doesn't care to drink. It's not, he never has ever been slightly intoxicated or made a poor decision because of alcohol. Cause he just, it, it doesn't even exist in him to do, but it's important for him to understand his friends that might, you know, like if him and I like have a big meeting tomorrow or at the Marriott, I'm like, Hey man, let's stay up and have a couple of drinks. Well, he might be thinking, let's just stay up and chat and I'll kind of maybe drink two Miller Lite. I might be thinking I'm going to have seven kilos on the rocks and maybe I'm not going to be as awesome tomorrow. Right. So maybe him being aware of someone else's potential hurdle or, or it could, could make everything more valuable. Like, Hey, you know what, dude, let's skip, let's skip grabbing the drink and catching up and just hit the hay and get up sharp early in the morning, right? Knowing that exists out there and how to maybe circumvent those situations. So the book can really help aware, self-awareness and general awareness um, across the board, I think. It's interesting because you've talked about certain relationships, right? There's, as guys, I think we tend to have very superficial relationships on the whole, right? It tends to revolve around you know, reciting movie lines together from Anchorman or talking about yep. the football game or, you know, getting together and having beers and watching a game, uh, teasing each other, whatever it might be. But, like, there's very few relationships, I think, among men. And you had mentioned this earlier about redefining what masculinity is. I think this falls into it, too, and just making yourself vulnerable and really having a real relationship. And in removing alcohol from the situation, I think you talked about, you know, a group of buddies and went to the the garage and they're playing beer pong and the whole thing it, it you start to realize who you actually have a real relationship with and who you don't did as you quit did you find that you know you you ended up having a different set of friends because of it did you find that other friends maybe faded away did you become closer to other people um what was the result on the relationships and and just in general like you know give me your feeling about like guys and how we really don't have relationships with each other we don't make each other vulnerable and you know how does this all tie in together Yes, I think that's one of the reasons why alcohol is so successful in social situations is because, I mean, think of the whole, like, bud, I love you, man, right? They didn't come up with that just out of thin air. It's because it's, it helps bring connection, which is which is all we need. Like, when we're connected, like, earlier in our conversation, we talked about community. When we feel like we're part of something, we feel good, right? And so that's why, hey, I'm ordering shots. And then you're like, the one guy's like, oh, God, I don't want to do a shot, but I want to be part of this, right? And so... That's where it has a space in alcohol, but I think even going with the, the masculinity thing, I'll dive in a little bit on that. I want to just kind of surface, the, just so you can see, you know, alcohol brings us together. Men, women, 21 years old, 50 years old, we find reasons to, to get together usually around alcohol. 
So for me, with personally with relationships, I'll be honest, I'm a very, um, and I have been probably more in the last three or four years of my life, I'm not a news and weather guy. Like my best friends will tell you, like, don't come in at it with, like, don't talk to me about some crap that's in the news. I don't care what Trump or Hillary did. I don't care who, how many pitches, you know, or how many strikeouts. Like, I don't care. I literally can't name five players, maybe in the Houston Nationals right now, some kind of into the World Series, like full transparency. But I couldn't name five players in any sports team or college team. I don't care. And I love sports. I love athleticism. But it's not something that interests me. So for me personally, I'm not really a guy that kind of shoots the shit. I like to dive deep, right? And, and, and I've found myself more so in the last maybe three or four years of my life sticking closer with people that I can have conversations like you and I are having because that's what I enjoy. That makes me happy. I don't want to sit down with my buddy and hear about all the chicks he's hooking up with. I don't want to hear about my buddy. You know, I, I, don't, I don't care about those kind of superficial things. But to your point, a lot of our male relationships are there. And, and what it goes back to is the, the, the masculine relationship is, is off. And it starts when we're kids. And, and I think that showing people to be caring, um, loving, and I'll say my son is one of the most caring, loving kids I've ever seen. It makes me so proud. There's a part of me when I'm younger, when, you know, he's nine now. So when he's early, I'm like, oh, he's going to be a stud of the ladies. I'm going to teach him how to kick some ass. And I look back at that. I'm like, what a freaking caveman mentality I had. You know what I mean? Because I didn't, I just, that's where my head was. That's where I lived. That was the space. And now I'm like, I want him to make other kids feel good. I want him to be loving. You know, I want him to be just a great human being, not a tough guy, good looking stud. I don't care about that. And, and people shouldn't want their kids to be that. If they do, they're wrong. Because <laughs> it doesn't create, it creates, uh, it creates those, all the things we're talking about, bad expectations, never feeling good enough because it's not what is, it's not what is, is really the answer. So the masculinity piece is, uh, it, it comes to vulnerability. And, and so this is, like I said earlier, this is kind of something I'm working on more now, like kind of my next thing, because I'm a guy that, you know, and I say this like without ego, uh, hopefully you've gathered that, but like, I'm not really afraid of other dudes. I've been in a hundred fights. I've had tons of good looking girls, famous girls, like all that stuff. And, and I chased that thinking that's what made me a man, right? Um being a tough guy, being big, I could bench press 400 pounds, I'd kick your ass and steal your girlfriend, right? But at the end of the day, that's not what masculinity is. Masculinity to me now is being able to create a safe, comfortable environment for everyone you're with and being supportive. And it sounds like when you say that, people are like, oh, that's actually just what I want. And so I'm kind of going in on this masculinity thing because I can go to, I can look at someone and say, this guy's so insecure. His masculinity is so goofed up just by the way they carry themselves. They're big, they're strutting their stuff, their arms are out, they're, you know, they got some crazy haircut, tattoos, staring at you all mean. And when you let them know, like, dude, I don't give a shit. I don't care. You're, I'm not intimidated. Wrong, wrong guy. They drop it, and there's some really great people hidden behind there. They're just scared. And they think that that's what they got to do because someone told them, man up, don't be a wuss, be tough, be the badass, be like that guy, be, 
you know, be like the fighter, be like the body, whatever. And, and don't be a wuss. And they don't know what it is because we have morons raising morons in this masculinity space. And it's the majority, you know, and I, but I think there is a movement that's focused on changing this. And that alone with the alcohol space makes it really hard to get alcohol out. If I, if everybody knew, like they could say, yeah, I'm going to quit drinking. And everybody's like, do you want? It's awesome. Proud of you. That's great. I support that. Cool. You know what I mean? And at the same time, when you quit alcohol, you're like, I don't care if you drink. Hey, I'll drive. You know, like people like friends, friends of mine, like my old neighbors who were really tight. Like, yeah, if I'll go up to dinner, I'll pick everybody up in the, you know, in the Yukon. And they're like, cool. But it, and it didn't matter, you know? And, and so creating those environments, and I, and I really have to thank a friend of mine, Marty, who quit drinking years ago. He's like, he's 20, 15 years older than me. He's successful, happy. Everybody loves him, cool guy. I was like, this guy has awesome parties at his house. And I was like, this guy can quit drinking. I can quit drinking. You know, like he's someone I look up to. And he helps create that kind of environment for me. Like he was one of the first people. I was like, hey, man, quit drinking. But one of the first things he said to me was, what happens? I was like, nothing. I just decided to quit drinking. He's like, that's not how it works. I was like, that's how it worked for me. And he was like, well, you're an anomaly. And so he went through the AA route, things like that. So, and that part of it sometimes creates a, a hurdle for people to quit drinking because they think for me to quit, I got to be you know, this 12 step program. I got to do AA, meetings, sponsor all. And they're like, no, you don't. You just, it's just like being a vegetarian. If you want to be a vegetarian, you have to go to meetings and like, you don't have to claim anything. You know, you don't need a label like I'm an alcoholic. You don't, you don't need that. Just make a decision. You're improving your life and go that direction. Right. And so a bit on a tangent, but going back to the masculinity is if we can create environments that allow people to be safe um, emotionally and who with who they are, we are going to create better society. It's big picture. Like I said, I want to change millions of people's lives for the better. It starts with this book that the alcohol can help that. And then the next thing I'm working on, like I said, is that masculinity. Do you, do you, I mean, do you have any experiences you'd share that you think that masculinity, modern masculinity had served you? You know, it's, it's interesting because I think you and I are very similar in that, you know, we, we, we jumped right into a conversation. We started, I'm like, Hey, did you read this book? You're like, yes. I'm like, have you read this book? You're like, yes. You know? And so, um, let's face it. There's not a lot of guys like you and I, right. I'm, I'm constantly mm-hmm. consuming these books. I want to get better. I'm focused on these kinds of things, but you're right. When we, when you go out with a group of guys, it's rare that you're going to have the kind of conversation you and I are having. And certainly if, if you're going to have beers, you're going to have alcohol, then the conversation is always going to be the same thing. It's going to be about women. It's going to be about sports. Um, and I'm just, I, I, one, I don't care about sports. I'm with you. Like, I, I like Michigan football. I think I've decided I'm going to stop watching it just because, you know, there, there's no reward there for me. If they win, okay, fine, I feel all right. If they lose, I feel angry. And I'm like, it, it's just not worth it. It's not worth four hours of my time. So I'm probably going to give that up. You know, the women thing, I, I don't want to talk about women. I don't want to focus on women. I want to be married to my wife, right? And so the last thing I need mm-hmm. to be doing is talking and focusing about other women all the time because, listen, what you focus on, you find. And I'm yeah. not interested in that. So, you know, I want to be talking about, I want to, I want to be disciplined and I want to be in control of my thoughts. 
and um, you know the alcohol is is not helpful to that, right? Because it's going to put you in that situation. But going back to your question about masculinity. One place I've struggled all the time is is having meaningful relationships with other guys. And I've always migrated more towards uh, the, the women uh, in the couples we hang out with because I think I just tend to have a better connection. They, they're better at talking. They're more interesting than the guys most of the time. And it's, and so, it's harder for you. I'll tell you what part of it, too, is it's almost impossible for you to compare yourself to them, right? If you and I are hanging out, you can compare yourself by – how tall we are, how much money we probably make, what we pulled up in, what my shirt looks like, my suit looks like. But a woman, what are you going to compare? You might be like, yeah, she's attractive. Maybe I could date her. Like that, that's, that's almost a mess. And that, and that really, when you feel that young, and sometimes is the, is the issue of what it is, is we're comparing. It's, it's hard. I pulled in the gym today where I live. There's a Lamborghini or a Huracan. I park right next to this brand new Ferrari 488. And they're all cars I love. I'm a car guy. And I'm like, yeah, Bentley, literally Bentley walking in Rolls Royce, and I'm like, damn, I stepped my game up. You know what I mean? I don't need <laughs> the car to make me feel like I'm the man I am, but I do need the motivation to want the car to feel like the man I am. Does that make sense? And but that's we're just constantly in a society, like you said earlier, social media things like that, we're sizing ourselves up. And I think that could be part of when you gravitate towards women. I do the exact same thing. I'd rather talk to women than guys all day long. Well, and I think it's funny because, and it's not about an attraction thing. It's it's so. Listen, my wife will will have a new friend, and you know she'll be at the house, and I'll come over, and I'll get a chance, and the three of us will talk, and you know she'll leave, and I'll be like, oh man, she's great, she's awesome, and Mary's like, yeah, you know what, we should get together with her and her husband. I go, yeah, that'd be fun, you know, and then you go out as as couples, and then later, you know, Mary's like, well, what'd you think of the husband? I'm like, eh, I'm like, not so great, but yeah. she's great. <laughs> that's it. So that's why the opposite sex tends to attract in that manner of comfort because if you know if, if I'm hanging out with a couple of women that they're like hey I'm happily married and they're like I just did the you know I was on the uh, at the gym this morning and a couple of moms hanging out on the, 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 I had a story with a, the, an issue with our our nannies yesterday and one of the moms knew about it so she was at the park anyway it, the moms I'm just hanging out we're talking and listening to my story and like laughing and it was it was cool. No guys at the gym want to hear about my story that's with the nanny and my daughter yesterday. They don't care. <laughs> no. And I don't want to, you know, some recent one I remember that stood out when I had a Detroit Lions shirt on at the gym back when I lived in Michigan. Like, oh man, what about Walter? Blah, 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 blah. I was like, I took my headphones, like, are you talking to me? He's like, yeah, yeah, you always just gay. I'm like, I was like, listen, I'm sorry, sir. I have no idea what you're talking about. He's like, he looks down at my shirt and I look at my shirt and I got a lion shirt on. Like, is I got a lion shirt on? I got to know every player, what they did on Sunday or maybe it was Monday night. I don't even know when they played. It, you know, like, it, and that stuff would make me avoid those guy guy situations. Well, and I think the key part, and you've said this a few times, is the, the making yourself vulnerable. And, and guys don't do that. And I've experienced the same thing as you. You know, listen, I I went through a depression that was probably two years long, like looking back on it. I was so deep in it, I probably didn't even know I was depressed for a lot of the time. And, you know, and, and as I told people about this, and I said, this is, you know, this was the impetus for me creating Strive, Struggle, Struggle, Succeed, is I wanted to be happy and I wanted to figure out why I was miserable. And as I told people this, 
it, it was like a reticular activator. All of a sudden, everybody was depressed and unhappy. And, and just me saying it, I think, created that safe space that you're talking about where people are like, you know what, me too. Like, and, and here's what's been going on. And, and then, you know, I can share some of the things that you and I know a lot about. I can tell them about, you know, reading Ego is the Enemy and reading the, the Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck and listening to the Tim Ferriss Show and all these things that I'm listening to and consuming myself. Um, and it changes the dynamic of the relationships. So I, I really think you're on to that piece about, you know, you're, you're leading by example through making yourself vulnerable. And it turns out that like, oh, my gosh, there are so many other guys our age in similar situations in life to us who, who are suffering from similar things. And uh, just by you saying it out loud, it just opens the door for that conversation, which I think is huge. I think that's brave of you. And I, I love that you published the book. I, I really think that that's, that's a huge thing. Thank you. And it, 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 it was a big thing for me, too, just from, the, you know, the success is not about celebration. It, it should fuel your confidence to do more, right? So for me, I wasn't like, hey, look at me. I got a book out. I, I'm, I'm awesome. Like, it made me feel like I could – I wrote a book. Like, listen, dude, I failed every single language arts class. I got, I've been kicked out, literally not allowed to come back to my language arts class. And I had one that the teacher made another teacher just cry. I was not good at this, but I wrote a book because I, I, I was passionate. And so the point I'm making there is like, just don't define yourself of what, what you are, what you were. Think, focus on what you want to be and be that person. And, and if, if something doesn't serve you in that direction, stop it. That's why I stopped alcohol. Stopping alcohol triggered me to write a book, but more importantly, it triggered me to just do better things for myself and my life and my family and you know, those around me. And it just keeps snowballing. For sure. Well, and we started off talking about Marcus Aurelius and meditation. And, you know, one of the things that he obviously focuses on, which you and I are, are huge fans of in general, is just, again, discipline. And one of the themes, though, is that discipline is actually what sets you free, right? And if just being committed to your virtues and committed to your goals is that ultimately is what will provide you the freedom from suffering, the freedom from regret, the freedom of pain, of poor choices. All those things are so important. And, you know, the, the alcohol doesn't help that. It doesn't, it doesn't beget discipline, right? In fact, what it does is it lowers your inhibition and it makes it more likely for you to do something that is undisciplined that will result in causing pain. And, and even if it's just the shame of the hangover, like you were talking about earlier, and we had mentioned another guy we like a lot, Jocko Willink, and you know he just he just hosted uh, Tim Ferriss's podcast, and he said something. He goes, "Listen, he goes, if you let yourself off the path." you're going to go way off the path. He's like, let's not mess. Like, it's not like you're going to go a little bit off the path. You're going to go way off. And he talks about, you know, it just starts with getting up in the morning. I mean, if you're going to hit the snooze button three times, well, now you're already off to a bad start. And maybe you missed your workout. Then if you miss your workout, it's like, well, you know, I'm kind of craving a bunch of carbs and crap. And maybe you eat two donuts instead of, you know, eating the right kind of breakfast or whatever you may do. But I loved his point, though. It was just like, you know, just letting yourself off a little bit results in letting yourself way off the hook. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I really think that was the theme from your book that really I pulled away more than anything else was, you know, at the very front, your, your goal stated by you in the book was, I want to be a great father to my kids and a great husband to my wife. 
And, and in looking at that goal and asking what serves that goal and what should I be committed to, I mean, it was clear that alcohol doesn't help that goal, right? It's, it's not, you're not going to become a better father and a better husband uh, by drinking. So I love that you identified that as your goal. And clearly that's what's going to make you happy is being that great father and, and being a great husband. And as we talked about, it's the actions of doing that, not necessarily the result of it, right? I mean, shit, unfortunately, you and I can't control whether or not our kids actually like us <laughs> or whether yeah, they will like us. <laughs> but we can't, but be, certainly we we can't we can beat ourselves them. up if they don't, right? But we can do the best we can. You know, and there's going to be some time where I'm sure both, especially say the two daughters, I have one that I'm going to be the dumbest person in the world from the time she's probably 13 to 18. You know, a buddy of mine's got four daughters. He's like, you're going to be a, he's like, dude, I've been an idiot. So my daughter's for like 12 years. <laughs> he's like, one of them thinks I'm the dumbest person alive. But I think she, what you're talking about um, with the discipline is it's key. And the part with discipline that a lot of people don't, quite grasp, I think, um, especially, you know, we can use New Year's resolution, right? Like maybe they get through January, but like come, you know, everybody knows like in the, in the gym's fitness space, like the gym is packed January, lightens up February, March. It's almost the same as it usually was. And then it's like just back to, back to normal. People quit. And the, the key to the discipline is the habits, right? So like, I usually have this, you know, this certain discipline and that discipline in my life um, becomes a habit. And when I do my habit, I feel good, right? Like if I took you to, if I was like, you know, to people that aren't very cultured or something and you take them to eat something they'd never eat, right? Like someone who's like, hey, you eat sushi, like, no, nah, that's raw fat, I don't eat that. Well, take them into it. You make them do an uncomfortable experience. They try it. It's not so bad. Guess what? They grew. They're better. And but what happens is then maybe they develop that habit. You know, like my son, like I was really into bodybuilding and stuff when my son was young, his favorite thing to eat for breakfast is egg whites and oatmeal. Seriously. He loves it. He eats cleaner. He'd rather have grilled chicken, broccoli, because that's what he was used to eating. You know what I mean? Now, he's, you know, he's older and my daughter, especially she's, they like the snacks. And, but because I've developed that habit of that when I, so I'm most comfortable when I'm in my habit. Right. And that's that's just people in general. If your habit is to come home and crack a couple of Bud Lights and sit on the couch, watch all the terrible things that have gone on in, in the world today, and you are going to just not be good. Right. And, and then you're going to like stay up too late or you go to bed, you get up, hit the snooze three times. You don't make yourself a healthy breakfast. You go grab some crap at the gas station. Uh, when you're picking up your pack of cigarettes and phone up the tank, and those are extremes. So, it, it, and I try to remind people that, like, if you're doing one of those things, it, it's still maybe not bad or to your goals of happy, healthy energy. And, and that's your habit, right? So if I say, hey, man, we're pulling the beer out, you're going to the gym after work instead of sitting on the couch, and you're going to eat these clean things. It's hard, dude. I will take anyone to the gym tomorrow and hammer their ass. And they will hate it later. But guess what? If they stick to it 90 days, 120 days, they'll never go back. It'll be part of their life. It's fantastic. And you know, I think the, the the harsh reality is that people don't like that discipline is the answer. They they want it to be something sexier. 
They want it to be inspiration or motivation, but really it's it's just discipline. That's the answer, right? And I think going back to something you had said earlier, Adam, you talked about when you were working in the VIP lounge and you had a lot of these business owners you were being exposed to, and you asked you you asked yourself like, what is the real difference between you know me and them? It, it, it's probably discipline, right? It's it's the idea that they have goals and they've disciplined themselves to doing it. And come hell or high water, they're going to take action on that. And I'll tell you, I've struggled with that a lot with with trying to really lead people and help them understand that like, if you want to change, if you want to accomplish your goals, you, you, discipline is the only way you're going to get there. And it just is what it is. It, people either get it and it either clicks for them or they just continue to sit around waiting for some divine intervention to help move right. them forward, which which is never going to come. We, I said, friends of mine, we make a joke about the people that, that have the stack of books that they're, they buy the books they're never going to read. It was something that actually motivated me to read because I said something about, like, I have to, oh, I bought this book. I haven't read it yet. And he was like, you one of those people that just buy the books and can figure your life's going to change? And I was like, no, I'm going to read this book. And it, but I hadn't read the book yet. And I had the book for two months. And I was like, I picked the book up right. And then, you know, obviously, I've read a ton since then. But it's those little things that you kind of, you got to think about, like, it's not buying the book, right? Getting a gym membership, I swear to God, every single time will not make you lose weight. It doesn't. There's nothing about signing that. There's nothing. It'll make your bank account lose some weight, right? But it's not going to make you lose weight. You got to have the discipline to do it. And and I think, like I said a little bit earlier, is picking like three or five things that you're going to work on, you commit to every single day, right? It could say, I'm going to go to the gym every day. I'm going to sit down with my son come hell or high water and help him with his homework. And I'm going to, you know, uh, make sure that my wife and I uh, together say something we're grateful for before we go to bed. And I just, those are just similar things that I've used personally for myself. Um, I think it's very important before you go to bed to have a little bit of time, even if it's two minutes. I do it every single night. Just long before you fall asleep, think of all the things you're grateful for. You wake up better. I mean, it's like if I was going to give you like a little hack, find the time to do that. And you sure can't do that when you're drunk. As I said, I thought it was an interesting conversation, and in listening to it again, uh, I felt motivated and happy to have made that connection with Adam, and look forward to keeping in touch with Adam over the years here. Maybe we'll have him back on the show. Just uh, a wealth of knowledge, a similar person seeking uh, self-improvement and bettering himself on a daily basis, but more important, take taking action on it, uh, which I really like about Adam. So I I hope you enjoyed the conversation. One of the things you'll notice is uh, I tend to interview a lot of people I already know. Um, And, you know, at first I was going to shy away from addressing that, but but let's call it what it is. I'm getting to know people better in my circle in a way that I didn't know them before because of the improvement that I'm seeking for myself. So the dynamic of the relationships that I have with people, the understanding I have with them, uh, what I see in them is changing based upon how I'm changing myself internally. And I bet the same could happen for you. There are probably a lot of cursory relationships you have, uh, people that uh, are just associates that really, once you start changing yourself and once you start striving 
searching for things, um, you kind of see them differently and attract them differently to you, uh, and you end up forming different relationships and friendships with different people, and uh, and I'm finding that's what's happening to me. So uh, I am interested in interviewing a lot of people I don't know, but uh, right now, it's almost as if there are a lot of people in my circle that I didn't know very well, and I'm getting to know them, and I, I encourage you to do the same. Uh, mentorship, uh, people that you can model, uh, those people are all around you right now, so I, I really kind of... Um, would say go out there and find those people. So I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Strive, Struggle, Succeed. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get podcasts. Please let your friends and family know about this podcast. And uh, let's keep striving, struggling, and succeeding.